yourself with this comic book podcast. Keep safe. We're talking about too old, too new comic books on a podcast. Too old and too new comic books. Welcome to Too Old, Too New, episode 11. My name is Bill Beer. And tonight we're going to do something a little bit different. It's something that I call podcast crossover. And tonight joining me from the Parlapod podcast is David Schultz. Yeah, that's me, baby. Thank you for having me on, Bill. I appreciate it. No problem at all. Dave, I wanted to get your comic book secret origin. My origin? Like my uh, how I got my yes. superpowers? Yes, exactly. Well, I know how you got started reading comics, what you started reading, that sort of thing. Well, I fell into a vat of acid, and uh, while in the hospital, I developed uh, amazing powers, able to read uh, multiple comic books at once. And uh, my parents brought me a stack. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) How did I get into comics? I was a young man, a very young guy. I was about five years old, and uh, there was a little candy store in town called Gene Sears. I grew up in this town called Webster, Mass., so uh, shout out to all the people from Massachusetts out there. And uh, my aunt took me down there. And they they had comics, but they sat there forever. You know, Mad Magazine, comics, mm-hmm. all dusty, everything else. And at the time, I remember the Incredible Hulk cartoon was on TV. And I was yeah. I, I really liked that. I, I mean, every kid does, Spider-Man, Hulk. But I never really physically picked up a comic. And I saw this one, and we're going to talk about it a little bit later in the show. And it was an Incredible Hulk annual with him holding the planet Earth in his hands and all these superheroes uh, seemingly poised to attack him. And I was fascinated with it. I thought it looked really cool. And instead of getting my Swedish fish, I said to my aunt, hey, can I have that? And she was like, sure. And uh, she bought it for me, and the rest is history. So many moons ago, Bill, many moons. Many moons. Very cool. Mine was uh, sort of similar. They had this uh, video store that would actually get comics but they did get comics every week. Yeah. Because it used to, remember, they used to come out on uh, Fridays. Right. It was every Friday until they moved it to Wednesday. But did you have to sacrifice your rental to get the comic like I sacrificed my Swedish fish? Uh, no. <laughs> no? Okay. No. By the way, to this day, it's still one of my favorite candies. So the Hulk is stuck with me and so has an, uh, the good old. I've never tried. You never tried. I've never tried Swedish Swedish. I've never tried Swedish fish. You've never said Swedish fish. No, yeah, dude. They're, no, I've never. <laughs> you've never tried Swedish fish? Come on, no. dude. Stop this podcast. Get your butt down to the store right now and buy a pack. They're great. They're going to get stuck in your teeth, but boy, are they good. I'll take your word for okay. it. Okay. <laughs> the next question is, tell us a little bit about your podcast, Parlapod. Parlapod, baby. Um, Parlapod is a labor of love, my friend. It's a podcast I have going with my good buddy, John Benedict. John and I were in a Swamp Thing fan group that he has started on Facebook called the Parliament of Trees, which is still active. So make sure if you do like Swamp Thing, go check that out. I was an active poster in that group. And over time, I became an admin, and we became friends, you know, online friends, as most people do uh, in these days, in ages, or whatever you want to say, in these times, rather. And uh, we we started a Swamp Thing podcast. It was a monthly thing, but it started to grow, and then uh, over time, we covered more comics and more comics, and now it encompasses the entire world of comics, and each and every week, we do reviews, we kind of bust each other's hump quite a bit. And it's a really fun show, and you can find that on Parlapod.com, ProjectEntertainment.com under Parlapod, and we're on Twitter and Facebook and all that good stuff. Just uh, look up Parlapod. Yeah, it's a great show. Um, I've listened to it for probably close to a year. I I love the interaction that you guys have. Thank the you. Banter that goes back and forth. It's really entertaining. It gets me through a work day. That's for sure. Well, it's not for the kitties, Bill. The kids can no, listen is to not. this show, though. That's, it's definitely a comic podcast for adults. Yes. Yeah. But I'm glad you enjoy yeah. it, man. That's that's what we do it for. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, and, thank you. And uh, how long have you been listening to podcasts? Oh, boy. I my The first podcast I ever did was about 10 years ago. I, uh-huh. I did one for my fantasy football league. And at that time, I, I listened to maybe, I don't know, a couple podcasts. All sports stuff, local stuff from... Uh, from mm-hmm. back up north, Patriots, Red Sox, or you know, that's what really got me into the whole the whole thing to begin with. 
And then over time, I started listening to because, of course, there's a subject for everybody out there. And I discovered, right. hey, they got podcasts for comics. And I started thinking, why don't I do one too? And that's where the whole Swamp Thing podcast idea came from, you know? Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, I sort of had the same thing, except I jumped right into. Uh, I had an iPod, mm-hmm. and I jumped right into comic book podcasts, and there wasn't too many out at the time, mm-hmm. but uh, Raging Bullets was one of those that I started listening to when I right. started listening to podcasts. I know Smodcast was a big one for me for a while. Yeah. All the Kevin Smith stuff. I was a, a big Kevin Smith fan. I'm actually on his Evening with Kevin Smith DVD for like a nanosecond. Oh, you are. Yeah, smiling. So it's like it's like a fraction of a second. You can see me, and I forget. I I went years ago. I marked down exactly what time I appear. But the funny thing was, he he was at a local college in my in my city I was living in, and I got so drunk that night, I was like out of my mind, and my face is so beat red, and I'm wearing a white Red Sox cap. So uh, basically, if you ever see the the alcoholic in a Boston Red Sox cap on that DVD, <laughs> that was me. That's me right there. Okay. Yeah. So. Good times. Yeah, I've listened to a lot of different podcasts. And I, you know, you try some out, you like some, and some don't really uh, connect with you. But, you know, there's, there's, I got about a dozen that I probably listen to because mm-hmm. I can listen to them while I work. Yeah. So I have eight, eight hours every day to fill with stuff. Yeah, because you're not really working. Oh, yes. Yeah. It's, it's work. Yeah, listening to podcasts. Hard work there, Bill. Good job. Keep it up. Can't, can't wait to see your bonus next year. Eight hours of listening to podcasts. You get the minimum. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, I wish I had that kind of uh, time. I'll tell you that right now. You're a lucky duck. <laughs> well, maybe not full eight hours. But, yeah, you know. sure. Well, I'm glad Parlapod is in your rotation. I appreciate that. Yes. I, I, sometimes I wish it was longer. It was. There was a period of time where we'd go like an hour and a half, and then uh, we ended up cutting it down because we, we joined a couple different networks and stuff, and one of them plays us on air uh, a certain time of the night. And around that time, we, we just decided, hey, let's keep it around the hour, maybe a little under, so we don't cut into the other podcast time. And it just, yeah. it just worked out for us. So, yeah, we usually run about 45 minutes to an hour. Yep. Yep, it's good stuff. But you want it longer? Sure, why not? All right, we're going to have to do a special Bill Bill Beer uh, three-and-a-half-day-long podcast. Yeah, I don't know about that. I mean, uh, there's some some podcasts have a couple of friends that do uh, Weird Science, and they're like the the 10- and 11-hour. Yeah, they're cool guys, though, but those are pretty long. And then uh, the other one I'm a big fan of uh, from Twitter was the Chris and Reggie. They do the uh, Cosmic Treadmill yep. and Weird Comics History. I never miss an episode of that. Love that show. So, hey, nod to those yep, guys. Really one. cool cats, too. Yep. And then there's that podcast, Too Old, Too New. Never heard of it. Yeah. Ne- never. never heard of that in my life. Where, where am I right very now? Semi-professional. <laughs> very semi-professional. Very semi-professional. Semi-pro. No, I like it, man. Yes. I, I like you and Seth uh, and, and his cool show. And I cut your commercial. So I am part of yes. too old to to new history for the rest of time. Yes. So on our latest episode that didn't record, uh-huh. we gave you a shout out. Oh, wonderful! Well, this is good yes. payback. You, yes. You didn't keep the show, but you kept me around. Thanks. <laughs> cool, man. So when we were discussing uh, podcasting together, one of the things I asked you to do is come up with uh, a comic. That resonated with you, or or something that you loved when you first started reading, or or something like that. Right. And you actually picked two different books. Yeah, I did because there's two that really stuck out to me, and both I I was really young when I read both of them, but they represented two ex- like really different things to me, but still are very uh, important and symbolic in my fandom to this day. Absolutely, and I I I have the same sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's obviously different comics, but the one comic you picked, The Incredible Hulk, it was like, oh, yes. Oh, got you excited, I, huh? Yes. Sim it down, Bill. But I didn't start reading, uh, I I believe that issue is like from 1982 that Correct. we're going to discuss Correct. here. Correct, yep. And uh, 
what was it? Incredible Hulk annual number 11? Yes, October 1982, the day the earth turned green, baby. Now, when I started reading the Hulk, mm. I was in high school. Well, this is going to date me. Oh, yeah. Right Long in the tooth. But uh, it, it was the, the Peter David run had uh, just started. Great run. Amazing run. Yep. Epic. Yep. But you didn't read any Hulk before that or, or after? No, I didn't. I did. I loved the TV show. I didn't really read any Hulk for whatever reason. Huh. Can you still watch the TV show to this day? Because I actually find it pretty pretty bad. I haven't watched it in a few years, but I, I would, like, start it, start an episode and get, like, 10, 15 minutes in, and it's like, eh. Yeah, see, I used to be, like, a Hulk completist. I'd own everything Hulk-related I could find, so I have a bunch of uh, episodes on DVD, and I'm going to loan you my copy of Trial of the Incredible Hulk, and there's not enough bleach oh, in, in the world to clean your eyes <laughs> after watching it. that. Hun- oh, you've seen that one? That's a hunk of junk and a Is half. that the one with the daredevil yeah, in it? Yeah, in the black suit. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, yeah. ooh, it's, it's not, not too good. Not too good. But you know what? That's the thing, man. Nowadays, we're spoiled. But back then, when that was on TV, I was like, this is the best thing that's ever happened in my entire life. You know? That this is on. I can yep. watch this. This is amazing. It's like that Roger Corman Fantastic Four movie that's like a bootleg thing now. I remember seeing that oh, right. years yeah. and years ago on VHS, and I'm like, this this isn't half bad. This is pretty good. They should release this in the theaters. And now you look at it, and you go, geez, Louise, what yeah, was I thinking? Terrible. Or there was that Captain America movie, oh. you know, they used, like, <laughs> magic marker on his muscles. Yeah. Red Skull looked pretty good, though. I'll give him that. He looked pretty decent. Yeah. 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 But, yeah, the Incredible Hulk, man, this, this is that issue I was talking about right in the, the beginning of the show. They got me hooked on comics. This is the one that kicked it, the whole thing off for me, man. So what about this issue that really stood out to you? I know you said there was a, a part in here that you said that had you shouting out. Oh, well, um, well, listen, I guess to kind of like sum it all up is, is when you're a kid, a little kid, I mentioned earlier the cover. You see all the, the, the heroes, the Avengers circling the Hulk. That yep. an original, I mean, that initial image strikes you. You think that's so cool. And for being your first comic, this book is packed full of the Marvel Universe. You have the Avengers, you have Spider-Man, you have Doctor Strange, you have Donald Blake, even though he doesn't appear as Thor. But you're really thrust into the Marvel U. And I just, I, I, all the colors, the amazing, the amazing imagery here. The story didn't mean a lick to me at the time. I was just learning how to read. But just seeing yeah. that on the page, that was like a cartoon in my face. It was it was just addicting. I couldn't get enough and I've never stopped, you know? Absolutely. It was awesome. But I mean, I read it for the first time today, mm-hmm. so but to see all the different characters and you know, um what what book could you get? that has, like, every character that wasn't, like, a crossover or something. And that's, you know, way back when, the annuals kind of meant something. You know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. They were really cool. Especially when it's only a buck. Yeah, well, even then, that Seriously. was 1982. Even though I don't think I picked this up until, like, maybe, because this was October 82 this came out. So knowing me and the, and the candy store I bought it at is probably sitting there for, like, six months before I grabbed it. So I'd say probably 1983 summer or something but uh yeah still for a buck i'd happily give up my swedish fish any day of the week and it has one of my favorite villains hawk villains in here the leader so good so good classic classic leader in this one buddy and his whole this whole thing revolves around him and his evil plot which is pretty simple but if you think back hey you know in this day and age it was pretty cool even though it's like nowadays, right, in, in movies, if they don't – like Stranger Things, right? They say mm-hmm. if they had cell phones, that show would be ruined, okay? This one is very similar. If everybody was, was buying bottled water, this story would never happen. <laughs> but, yeah, it would never work. Right, but because everybody drank from the tap back in 1982, this story makes perfect sense. So, yeah. Oh, and it's yeah, – it, and- hey, Bill, as far as that page – is that the one you were talking uh-huh. about? The one that made me like scream like a little girl? I think you said like page number 11 or something yeah, like that. Yeah, page 11 is like this full page spread of Spider-Man. We haven't really talked about the story. I know we're kind of jumping around a little bit here. 
Uh-huh. So I don't want to like, I don't know. Hey, this is what happens on page 11. We never talked about page 1 through yeah, 10. Yeah, okay. But, let's let's get into the story a little bit. Sure, yeah. I mean, um this one it starts off and this is great cuz I don't know when you first read it today, don't you just love it when a book opens with someone just screaming at the top of their lungs? <laughs> it, it looks horrifying. Yeah, and he's like, "Aye!" And I thought to myself, "Who the hell says aye when they scream?" Maybe if you ate some bad tacos and you got some Montezuma's Revenge. Or you're a little girl. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't get it. But still, you see the classic image of Banner screaming and he's he's stuck in a chair. Very reminiscent of the TV show, I suppose. But he's actually on the leadership called the Omnivac, which uh, does sound, in fact, like a vacuum. The moment you put vac in it, you think like freeze-dried meats or cleaning the carpet. But... uh He's locked on this on this ship, and he's giving himself like the clockwork orange treatment. He keeps showing pictures of New York City and uh, water supplies and everything, trying to program it into his mind, being like, the Hulk has to remember this. The Hulk must remember. And you don't know where he is or what's going on. And this woman shows up named Ricky, who's a fellow scientist, and she tries talking him down. He's like, you know what? I'm having none of this. You're part of the leader's evil plot. We don't know what the plot is yet. Freaks out, jumps out of the ship to plummet to who knows where, but apparently over New York City, which is very convenient. Because that's where he wanted to head anyway. Yeah, exactly. Right. So that was, that was, uh, you know, that's the thing about these comics. If you look at the Silver Age, Bronze Age, or the early 80s, or anything, like everything's just a little too convenient. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not the yeah. most, uh, yeah. I don't know, complicated story. I, again, I think is why it, this would really appeal to kids of any age, even to this day, because you don't have to think too hard about what happens, you know? No, so. no. But right out of the gate, you got the um, people are starting to get sick. They're getting something called the green flu, which uh, they do a little Fantastic Four appearance, and they're starting to get sick. And there's one line I love from the thing where he calls it, what does he call it? A pistachio plague. Typical Ben Grimm style. <laughs> and you start noticing everybody in New York is turning green. They're all getting sick. Yep. And who do you call when you're turning green and getting sick? Oh, you call the doctors in the Marvel Universe. Yep. That's what we were talking about, uh, Don Blake and uh, Doctor Strange. Even though I thought Doctor Strange was a surgeon. I don't know what he's going to do to help uh, people who are turning green. Or maybe some plastic no, surgery. Well, they call him a lame surgeon. Okay. All right. In here, yeah, they call him... A lame surgeon. But I love uh, this one uh, panel where they show, you know, uh, the Doctor, uh, Doctor Strange and uh, Donald Blake shaking hands. Mm-hmm. And you see their alter egos up top above them. Right. I love the capes. I'm all about the love capes. Love those capes, huh, Bill? They're also shaking hands, yeah. right? They're like, hey, what's up? Yeah. My, uh, my imagery. Yeah, it's pretty cool. This actually, this book is chock full of that kind of stuff. It was drawn by Rick, uh, Rich Buckler. Sorry. So it was drawn by Rich Buckler, and uh, he did an outstanding job here. Uh, inks by Joe Sinnott, who is an all-time legend in the in the comic book artistry world. So the art's really, really good. Yeah, I do have to say. It reminds me of somebody else's, but I'm not quite sure who that is. It's tough to say. Maybe one of the Buscemas, because with Joe Sinnott uh-huh. on the inks, I guess maybe you can kind of see similar styles. He inked everybody, you know? But uh, mm-hmm. Buckler did a really good job. This is all, also written by Bill Mantlo who is a Hulk writing legend. He's from the early 80s before, uh, you know, he had that tragic accident and his writing career ended, but still a great, great Hulk writer. Peter Parker's trying to crack this case, too. Everybody's trying to figure out what the hell's making everybody green, right? Peter Parker's right. an ESU, and that's what leads us up to that, that page, page 11, that I, I'm blown away by, is that he's looking through some, like, electron microscope or something, and he's, gamma radiation, Something in this flu is gamma radiated, and that's what's making everybody sick. And then, you know, hey, as luck would have it, the Hulk is on the ESU campus storming around in the rain. He swings into action as Spider-Man, and I like it because he's sick, and they have, like, those little dust specks-looking things around his his head, showing that he's (laughs) weary or a little, you know, under the weather. But when he swings in, it's so cool because it's classic Spider-Man, and there's thunder, there's lightning, and there's the Hulk being pelted by the rain, standing there, ready for battle. This, to me, is just such an iconic image. I could stare at this all day, every day. If they made a poster of it, I'd buy it, T-shirt. I might get it tattooed on me, 
to be honest with you, Bill. I like this page that much. It is nice. I like, I mean, you have the classic Hulk there, you know, with the purple pants. Right. And uh, just their interaction in this scene is, you know, he calls uh, Spider-Man Bug Eyes. Oh, yeah, right, yep. Bug Eyes wants Hulk's blood. Yeah, that was was funny. (laughs) Definitely. Yeah. And there's been so many phases. You have the Hulk, you know. You have the really dumb Hulk. You have, this is actually a smarter Hulk. Well, yeah, he's still very simplistic in this issue. Yeah. And in the regular yeah. series, they note this in the comic. He, he Banner had, uh-huh. he'd gained Banner's intelligence uh, during the regular run. But yeah, he's still, he's still not so bright in this one. He's kind of being led around like a, uh, I don't know, yeah. a carrot in front of yeah, a rabbit, you know? He can talk a little bit more than, yeah. you know. Right. Hulk smash. Yeah, he does. He's a little, get a little better uh, verbiage, if you will. Better than I've got, that's for sure. And I do podcasts for a living. Yeah, Spider-Man goes down for the count. There's another line I love. This this whole issue is full of like little one-liners I dig. And when the medics show up, one guy's like, oh my god, it's Spider-Man, holy cow. And the other medic's like, quit your gawking. You, you, you act like you ain't ever seen a superhero before. And I, it makes you think, hey, if you lived in the Marvel Universe, that's pretty much the reaction that you would have. Yeah. You got these guys flying overhead and smashing buildings every which way. Uh, over time, yeah. it becomes and normal. You see them every day, almost. Right, yeah. Right. Then we uh, cut to the Avengers, and this is quite the lineup. They got Yellow Jacket, Wasp, Wonder Man, Vision, Cap, Iron Man, Beast, and Jocasta. There's a interesting little uh, motley crew for you right there. I mean, there's a couple there that I don't really recognize. Oh, but... really? Uh, like Jacosta. Jacosta, yeah. Jacosta's, uh, she used to be with Ultron, so she's very similar to Vision. Okay. Yeah, so she's a little robot herself. I mean, I've seen her before, but I couldn't tell you anything about her. Ah. Well, here, I think this is probably going to be the last one-liner I'll bring up about the rest of the issue. I don't want to fill up your whole show with these. But at one point, yeah, yeah. the Wasp and the Beast are arguing over something, and the Beast says, I'd, I'd sooner wiggle backwards into a runaway buzzsaw. And the cap's just like acknowledged. And I thought to myself, <laughs> what a weird thing to say, Beast. Like, bring out the banjos or something. That sounds like such a hillbilly thing to say. <laughs> Wiggle backwards into a runaway buzzsaw. What? But hey, whatever. Beast is still cool, you know? Yeah. But yeah, the rest of this book, you get the flashbacks happening. So you kind of find out what was up with the leader and how Banner got on his ship to begin with, the whole Omnivac thing. And the whole the whole ploy was a ruse. The leader used this girl, Ricky, who apparently went to college with Banner, to get his blood, saying that she was going to cure him. And now he's using that same blood to poison the water supply. And that people, once they drink the water, over time they will develop into hulks, abominations, or leaders like himself, but not as intelligent. So he's kind of clever with that one right there. So he can rule the world. Yes, exactly. Which, I mean, all megalomaniac evil uh, villains, that's all they want, right? I want to rule the world. Yeah. But he just wants everybody to turn green. He wants to sit in his chair on top of the stairs. Yeah, exactly. But uh, one cool thing, uh, I mean, rather, another cool thing in this issue is a throwdown that they do have with the Avengers. There's a great panel because, you know, Hulk, of course, of course, thrashes the ever-living crap out of him. But at one point, he, he tosses Iron Man aside and you see through Iron Man's eyes slit. I miss this when they used to do this in the comics. And they used to use expression yeah. with his eyes. And here you see despair. You see panic. And he's like, Cap, I'm not feeling so good. And you notice his skin is turning green. I thought that was just outstanding. Yeah. And you could see him You could see him sweat or... Right, yeah. You know, fear in his eyes or something like that. Yeah, they've, they've done away with that now. Now everything is so robotic and mechanical. But back in the day, that was a lot of fun to actually, like, see what he's feeling through those little eye slits, you know? And I love this version of his armor. This oh, is it's one great. This is my favorite one. Yeah, it's fantastic. I love it. The issue basically closes out with uh, Hulk digs a hole, gets down to the water supply. The Avengers follow him, thinking that he's up to no good. He destroys the leader's machine that's poisoning the water. This woman, Ricky, who shows up again, the one who who tricked him and fell for the leader's plan. Now, she's also been transformed into a leader-like being. And it's great because 
she, when she transformed, all that happened was her head got long and her hair got short. Yeah. She got the leader do. And she had some powers. She had some Oh, true, true, mental right. She ends up, she, basically she saves power. a day. Yeah, you're right. She yeah. uses telekinesis and destroys the the controls in the Omnivac and trans, transports her and the leader. Again, this makes no sense, people. Just just mind, you know, just remember this is uh, comics uh, that aren't too complicated. And uh, she, she transports them to the sewers. She gets a cap in her you-know-what from the leader. The Hulk tackles the leader. They get washed away in the water supply. The day is saved, and the Avengers realize, oh, it was the Hulk after all who is the true hero here. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> but listen, you know, the, the whole thing with the story aside, like I said, the simplicity of it, when I read this now, it brings me back. It makes me feel five years old again. You know, it really does. It brings me back to a more innocent time, and I love that about this book. I can never get enough of that especially with the gritty comics we have today. Yeah, and I've been saying this on my podcast, I don't know how many times. Fun yeah. is the biggest word that I'd use. A lot of these old comics are just fun. They're not, you know, you don't nobody's getting their arm severed or anything like that or losing somebody dying or something like that. Yeah, and there's this space for that. You know what I mean? There's room for yeah, that yeah. in comics, but there's also yeah. Areas where this can be done as well, and thankfully you can go to the back issue bins anytime you want and find those type of stories. Yep. And thank God I I picked this story off the rack when I was a kid because it made me a lifelong Hulk fan, which hasn't been the easiest thing to be lately uh, with the way Marvel's treated him. But he's a great character. And you had mentioned the Peter David run, how they delved into the psychology of him in that. That's why I mean that was just amazing. And they developed him over time. It's just uh, the Hulk is my all-time favorite Marvel character and always will be. Yeah, I, he's my favorite also. I guess the the biggest thing that w- I, I read this today and the biggest thing that I got out of it, mm-hmm. ooh, I miss this character. Mm-hmm. This character hasn't been around in a while. Right. Well, you had totally awesome Hulk, but uh, that pales in comparison. Yeah, and I really, you know, they have a little blurb in the, the, the well, they changed the name to Incredible Hulk, mm-hmm. and the little blurb that says, oh, Bruce Banner was cured by Amadeus Cho. Right. Uh, and it's like, when did that happen? Was that a story? No. Yeah. Wasn't it like in a panel or something? Yeah, it was basically like happened off panel, and they explained it. I want to say it was like totally awesome Hulk number eight or nine. They finally got back into what happened there, but they just want you to. Which it doesn't make any. It no. doesn't make any damn sense because d- didn't the Hulk die in uh, one of the Marvel crossovers? He got shot or something. Yeah, Civil War Two, Hawkeye. Yeah, sniped yeah. him, and they're gonna they're gonna talk so, about that coming up. By the way, and if you've been reading um the the recent Avengers title by Al uh-huh. Ewing, Ewing, I'm sorry, who's gonna be doing uh, Immortal Hulk? They they talk about that a little bit in there as well so that's pretty cool, oh, that's cool. yeah it is cool yeah no surrender i'm not i'm not quite caught up on that one but i have been reading oh it. you're gonna be who is a lot to catch up on buddy that's not one for the uninitiated it's a yeah, it's no, a good I'm book like but whoa. five issues behind right whoa now. there's a lot going on in that one holy cow hey bill yeah. one other quick thing i want to say about uh the annual number 11 before we close on it is that there's uh-huh. a backup story in here which has Frank Miller pencils, and they mentioned that it was the, uh, I think it was his first work he ever did for Marvel, even though it went unpublished for a few years. And it has Doc Samson in it. And I've always liked Doc Samson. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I love about him is he he's, this guy, he doesn't wear a regular t-shirt. He doesn't wear a V-neck t-shirt. He has to have a square neck t-shirt. How many people can rock that look? Purple hair, crazy boots. They, if Doc Samson, he's got to keep that look for the rest of the time. I don't care how they try to change him or whatever. That's not Doc Samson. He needs the square neckline. Okay, enough said. <laughs> enough said. Yeah. Yeah. So this was Frank Miller's uh, before da- pre Daredevil work. Yeah, uh, it was written by Mary Jo Duffy. Frank Miller did the pencils and inks by Steve Mitchell and. Uh, of course, this book came out in 82. I'm not really sure in the whole timeline here of what was published yeah. first by him, to be honest with you. 
But I, I remembered vaguely, like, oh, that's one of uh, his first works at Marvel. And they do note it right in the beginning of the story, saying it was something that he had done years prior. It was his first pencils submitted to Marvel, but it wasn't published until ni- uh, 1992. Great year. No, 1982. Yeah, I see the blurb here now. Yep. Yeah. Special editor's note. Very special. Yeah. I miss those too, by the way. I- I'm such an old man now, Bill. I mean, I miss editor's notes. Not enough books have them. I miss those. No. Or like, you know, this happened back in issue number 246. Okay, I can go look that up. Awesome. Right. You know? I would love to see that come back. Uh, In some books, they do have it here or there. But I think it should be book-wide. I actually miss the letters pages as well. I miss the whole enchilada here, buddy. Yeah. Get off my lawn. Well, Marvel still does have the letters page in some of their books. Yeah, but... I just got published in one. I was like a a teenager, all giddy. I was like, ooh, they printed my letter. That's right. It was like the Punisher. Yeah, I love that book. I think that, speaking of, we we're talking about innocent times and enjoying stories like these, the Punisher is the exact opposite. There you have people losing <laughs> limbs yeah, and blown right. up left and right, but... uh still an excellent book that that cat matt rosenberg he's a really good writer and uh up and comma yeah yeah everything i've read so far has been pretty good that he's written. oh yeah him and kate's they're the future marvel right there yep and one of those guys i can't remember which one one of those guys is moving over to venom yeah that's kate's kate's that's right yeah donnie kate's he's moving over to venom he's all over the place that's um yeah Another problem I have with Marvel, and I think you would as well, or you do as well, is you get a great creative team, and it's six issues. That's it. Then they're done. Yeah. You know? Like the Doctor Strange, his Doctor Strange run. run. It's great, but then you know it's going to end. And as fans, we have to adapt. We have to realize this is the way it's going to be. They're right for the trade. But at the same time, you, you yearn for the good old days. And you're like, I'd love to see him do this for like 30 issues. Because... That's also a test of how good a writer can be. You look at Peter David, who wrote the Hulk for uh, you know over a decade, and that's hard. That's not easy, man. You, you know, no. you're gonna come up with something new over and over and over again. Now it's like, okay, you did an awesome six issues. We're putting you on something new, fresh start. It's like let these guys mature a little bit. Let them, you know, get their feet wet and become good, solid writers. I know they can write short arcs very well, but can they do it for the long haul? Who knows. Yeah. So, I'm just complaining. Why do you even have me on your show? All I'm doing is complaining. I don't know. I, I really don't know. I'm hanging you up. Know. I, I'm out of here. I thought John was coming, but... Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. You, you want a griper? Yeah. There you go. Get John on the show. He'll <laughs> gripe you. He'll get you. He won't get, get you all the Metamucil talk like I'm doing right now, but he'll, he'll complain yeah. just as much. Don't you worry. We've gone back and forth over Twitter oh, have a you? bit of a... Yeah. I love Twitter. Nothing. I love it. Nothing really bad, but... Well, that's uh, one thing about Parlopod right there is that we really go after each other on that show. Oh, one of the good things, you know, you get some of these podcasts that they go back and forth and they agree on everything. Yeah. Every book they talk about, they agree. And it might not be books that they picked that they already liked. It might be new stuff that they're reviewing. Mm -hmm. And they agree about everything. Right. I like I like it that you all don't necessarily agree, uh-huh. but you get to hear both side both point of views. Yeah, and sometimes we absolutely roast each other over these reviews. Oh, yes. man. holy yes. cow! I just want yeah. to punch him in the face. Yeah, <laughs> I love him. He's my brother, but I want I want to. Ooh, I just want to knock his teeth out, baby. Yeah, that's understandable. Well, hey, you know, listen, I'm not trying to knock anybody because there's a lot of podcasts out there, a lot of great podcasts, but a lot of people I've noticed they want to appeal to the creators so they get shares, they get likes, they get more followers. We're not about that. We don't care about any of that that stuff, you know? When we agree, it's legit. If we disagree, again, we're just trying to give you an honest review and hopefully entertain you for the 45 minutes to an hour that we're on the air, you know? Right. And... uh yeah, me and John, you should see us off air. We just squabble like nobody's business. So what you what you hear on air is what you get in real life, you know? That's cool. Yeah. So. Hey. 
I'm Jen. And I'm Sean. We're here to tell you about our podcast, Worst Collection Ever. And this is the show where we tell you about the worst comic book collection in existence. And it just happens to belong to us. We have some of the worst comics from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. They're bad. They don't, Terrible. They're not worth anything. No good. Why do we Very own them? Bad. I own number of issues of Terror Inc. and Guy Gardner. Basically, we go around to local comic book stores and we buy everything we can out of dollar boxes. We tell you about the weird stuff in them. We tell you about stuff that's related to them. We go into tangents. And we're very uninformed, so... Oh my god, totally. But totally check out our podcast because you'll hear us just talk and joke about Marvel books and DC books from God only knows when. That's right. It's our show, Worst Collection Ever, every Tuesday on iTunes, Stitcher, anywhere you get your podcasts. Download, rate, subscribe, tell a friend. It'll be good and terrible, but good. Let's go on. Uh, you had a second book that you uh, yes. had picked. My, well, here's the thing. I, I think like most people, you, you might have a favorite Marvel and favorite DC character. And my favorite DC character is Swamp Thing. And Swamp Things, I don't want to say he's obscure because he's had movies and TV shows and cartoons and plenty of merchandise, but he's not, he's never been considered like an A-list hero or, or you know, one of DC's elite. And I think that's a big mistake. And I stumbled upon Swamp Thing pretty much the same way I did the Incredible Hulk annual. And I was, I was older. I was probably like nine, ten years old. And I was in a place called Chet Smoke Shop. Again, Webster, Mass. I had no business being in there. And I, I don't know if you remember smoke shops. Uh, they used to have like nudie mags and below them they'd have comic books. So <laughs> it was like kids should not really be in there. And they had Swamp Thing, which was a mature title written by Alan Moore. Uh, this one was Swamp Thing number 56 called My Blue Heaven, art by Rick Veach and inks by, by Alfredo Alcala. And this was a severely adult book. And I opened it up. I wasn't overly familiar with Swamp Thing. I remembered him from like uh, DC role-playing games that me and my buddies would kind of goof around with. And this blew my mind because I'm like, hey, why isn't Swamp Thing in the swamp? Here he is. He's in outer space. Hey, why isn't Swamp Thing green? In this one, he's blue. And he's just like floating there, of course, being in the cosmos. And then three, this is effing brutal man the stuff that goes on here and he's the only guy in the book he's the only character in the book this one deals with him being stranded on a planet and trying to cope with madness and he creates an entire world to himself a utopia if you will and it's amazing now as an adult looking back i can see all the themes going on there i can see all the subtext and it's mind-blowingly good to me but at, at the time, being such a young age, I just was like, I should not be reading this. I need to buy this. And I did. And I brought it home. And to this day, I, it's my favorite Swamp Thing issue of all time. Was this your first issue that you picked up? Yep, it sure was. I was not familiar with the Len Wein or Bernie Wrightson stuff. I hadn't read any of the Alan Moore stuff previously. Anything. I just picked this up. Just thought it was cool. And... uh yeah, I, he's made an impact on me ever since. And from that day, I got into the lore and I started reading more Swamp Thing, going back and picking up other runs. And I've been collecting Swamp Thing uh, stuff and comics ever since. And I even told you, Parlopod started out as a Swamp Thing podcast. I yeah. love Swamp Thing. Don't tell Damn. me you don't like them. What, you look at that. Right, the, right when I was going to say that, you went, meh, meh. What's the matter with you, Bill? Well, no, no, no. My first introduction to Swamp Thing was the movie, the first movie. Mm -hmm. And, well, I was a little younger then. I thought it was awesome. Right. You watch it now, and it may not be as awesome as you originally thought. No. And Return of the Swamp Thing is extremely campy, and I don't think yeah. any of those films hold up very well. Uh, you can see the TV shows on YouTube if you wanted to, and none of that stuff, no. <laughs> I mean... But again, at the time, wow, you know, holy man. I, I picked, I did pick up an early issue of Swamp Thing. <laughs> it was one of the ones with the Justice League in. I think mm -hmm. it was like um, maybe late 20s, early 30s, as far as the issue goes. Oh, yeah, yeah. The saga of the Swamp Thing when he's dealing with the Floronic Man. And yes. Yes, yes, right. 
And you didn't but, like it? Um, it didn't hook you? I thought it was okay. But it, as I said, it's in the middle of a story. Yeah. Like, I think that particular issue might have been at the end of the story. But, um, you know, um, the way comic shops were the back then, they didn't get a lot of certain issues. So if you got one issue, it was a good possibility that the next issue wasn't available. Right. Yeah, and there's it's no not continuity like, there. Yeah. And it's not like they could get on the computer and say, hey, I'll order you that one. Or, right. Or you missed that? Hey, I'll order that for you. Yeah, that didn't happen. No. We didn't get a comic book store, and I was lucky we even did in my town until maybe I was like 12 or 13 years old. And back then, you didn't do that either. It wasn't like they would just look it up in, in Diamond and, and make the order for you. You know, right. you, might, you might say what you're interested in, like, oh, yeah, I want new Warriors, and they keep it coming because you're buying it. But uh, other than that, that was that was it. But the best thing about that was they had back issues in that store. And my mind was blown, man. I was picking up stuff that I didn't know existed and it wasn't terribly expensive and it was super cool, man. That was my, my, Ooh, that I'm telling you right now, I am a back issue lover. If there's a store and it has bins, I will be there for hours. And it all started right there. A and G hobbies and Webster. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah, totally. No, no, it probably didn't stick with me cause I was big on the superheroes and and Swamp Thing really didn't connect with me at the time. It probably wasn't till like uh, later in the run that I mm-hmm. that I I read some here and there. Well, but I no, I was, I was just gonna say to you that Alan Moore, you know, now a lot of people realize how good he was, but if you look back when he took over this title in 1984. He took it over from Martin Pasco, who is a hell of a writer in his own right. But he took a character that really could have been considered at the time a cookie-cutter monster and really turned the comics industry on his ear. You know, he combined elements of horror and romance, and he made readers reconsider what truly makes up horror or a monster. And all these years later, we know this is his M.O., but Swamp Thing set the stage for, for sobering superhero, superheroics that really kind of shook the, the industry up in 1986. When you look at Moore's Watchmen or, or um, Frank Miller, I know you're not a fan, but his Dark Knight, that was some really adult stuff happening. And I think the roots of that, pun intended, happened in Moore's Swamp Thing run. Did you say not a fan? Yeah, didn't you uh, say on Twitter you weren't a fan of the Frank Miller stuff, or did I miss? Oh, oh, understand. I'm, I'm not a fan of the Dark Knight Returns. Ah, okay, all right. But I liked his Year One stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I just didn't love love it. Just yeah. till this day, it's a hard read for me. Well, I can tell you right now, man. 1986 was a huge year for DC. Big year for comics. And I, for anybody who recognizes that year for how it really introduced the adult elements, you know, because it wasn't an in, indie thing. You know, we weren't mm-hmm. talking about crumb anymore or like sexy or dirty comics. These were heroes that you knew of. Or in the case of Watchmen, he took some of the Charlton heroes, more that is, and he, he just made them so gritty, so real that people were like, wait, I don't want the Incredible Hulk annual 11 anymore. I'm 25 years old. I want this, you know? Yeah. And that's what I was trying to say. Swamp Thing and that entire Moore run up until that point and even afterwards was some really hardcore adult material and dealt with a lot of interesting issues that would appeal to adults, not kids. And that's why when you said, hey, man, I was mainly into capes, I can understand the reasoning for not liking Swamp Thing for that very reason. Now, there's also a run. It's not really comparing to Swamp Thing, but there was also a run that... You know, I jumped on and I really liked it and it was gritty. And that was the Mike Grell Green Arrow. Mm-hmm. Sure. And that was gritty. Yeah. That was I, about as gritty back then as I liked. Well, you know, they dealt with drugs and prostitution and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, yeah, all the good stuff. Oh, yeah. Well, is that something you're into, Bill? Should, <laughs> no. we, be, should we be alarmed? What's no. going on here, buddy? Yeah, no, I agree with you. That that was, but to me, I don't know. I think some of the themes that happened in the Swamp Thing were just. Uh, I, the other interesting thing to me is, I just use the term horror 
as a genre, but I don't really look at comics like that. Like, it's more like it's force-fed to me. Like, Dave, this is a horror book. So I refer to it as horror, but I just look at things like, is this a good story? Is this an intriguing tale? Yeah. I, I try not to think about, is it romance? Is it horror? Is it comedy? Is it whatever? Is it entertaining me? That's what I care about. And these books are really, really entertaining. And of course, the Swamp Thing Volume 2, number 56, was the first one I picked up. It'll always have a special place in my heart. I defend it tooth and nail. Speaking of Twitter, Sean Haggerty, at 10K Beers, always really gives me a hard time telling me it's junk, it's no good. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Do you not understand this book? So he says this book is no good. He hates uh, the whole concept of Swamp Thing in space. He just doesn't like it. Okay. But I mean, I like, I love seeing characters out of their element. I, I enjoy that. I like seeing that kind of stuff. And here, you get someone who... You never read anything prior to this either about how he ended up in space, right? No. So when I first read this, I was like, like, okay, what the hell is going on? Well, you're a huge Batman (laughs) fan. And in Swamp Thing number 53, he he had taken over Gotham City, okay? And he basically handed Batman his lunch and beat the crap out of him because they had taken his lover, Abigail Cable, and locked her up for basically – you know, sex crimes because she was sleeping with a plant and they thought it was indecent. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. And he was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. listen, give her back to me. I could just take her, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to show you guys how powerful I really am. And he made Gotham into a garden. Uh, This insane place and hippies started to come there. And Mm -hmm. Batman had no more control. Batman had lost the city. And so they decided to release Abby to Swamp Thing. And when they did, uh, Lex Luthor shot him in the back of the head with like this disorienting uh, bullet that made it so he couldn't reach the green. And then they napalmed him. So he got annihilated and everybody thought he was Hmm. dead, but he really had just sent his consciousness somewhere else. And the first place he landed was the first piece of vegetation he found in outer space. That's how he ended up being there. Okay. The one question I have is what is the world coming to when you can't make it with a plant? Uh, seriously yeah i guess so it's all the, they're taking tree hugging a little too seriously here Bill. <laughs> yeah a little too a little too far if you ask me but hey it was, it was a very cool story so if, if any uh-huh. of you love batman have never read swamp thing number 53 or 52 or 53 53 is a giant size issue so it's jam-packed full of really really uh great action and it's illustrated by john toddlebin who i consider the greatest swamp thing artist of all time and uh, it, again, if you can handle Batman getting beaten by Swamp Thing, it, you're gonna love it. It's an amazing, amazing book. It sounds. I'm working my. It sounds good. I'm oh. working my way up to that issue. In fact, yeah, and uh, I'm like in, I'm like in the mid 30s. Are you? You're gonna love it. Well, again, it, as long as you don't mind seeing Batman get the smackdown, because historically, and I'm not the kind of guy who goes, "Who would win, Superman or Green Lantern or whatever." Because to me, that's that's a futile argument. It depends on the writer. But interestingly enough, throughout the history of of Swamp Thing, he's never lost a fight to Batman, despite the writer, despite the era. And I'm like, huh. It's like an unwritten rule. Swamp Thing always spanks Batman. Yeah, I defy anybody to, to tell me otherwise. I dare you. Yeah. Come on. Put my dukes up. No, yeah. I don't have a problem with him getting his butt kicked by... The plant elemental. Then Swamp Thing number 53 is going to blow your mind. But here we are with issue number 56, and he's stranded. He doesn't know how to get home. He's going slightly mad because he's on this planet. He doesn't know how to occupy his time. But he starts realizing, hey, with my powers, I can create other versions of me. And he starts playing chess with himself. And then he's like, well, if I can do that with me, why can't I create other people? And he does that with Abby. Another kind of creepy thing about tree hugging is he uh, he does stuff with Abby, and I'm like, you're kind of doing that with yourself. You know what I mean? Get a gym sock, will you? Come on, Swampy. Yeah. But he also creates the town of Homa, where he's from in Louisiana, and he's living this life on the planet because that's all he's got. And for him, it's like normalcy. You know what I mean? It's his way of thinking or seemingly keeping sane. But he also manifests a John Constantine who 
despite it's his own voice, his own mind starts telling him to the contrary, dude, you're mad. You have gone absolutely crazy. Why are you doing this? But his only other option is to jump out into the void. He could be dead. He doesn't know. It's a great unknown. So he could stay there in that self-made utopia and live out his days. Or is he going to try, take the risk, and, and see if he can make his way back home to his true love? And that's fascinating uh, stuff to me, especially because there's some really powerful imagery in this comic. I think I alluded to it earlier. Yeah. Where at one point he's looking at this construct of Abby and it's raining and she's starting to melt, but she's smiling at him and he controls her, but he's just like, stop smiling. And he's looking her in the face. Stop smiling. Pow. Punches her in the face and destroys her. And I'm like, wow, that, that I, I, I stopped and I imagined it to myself. If I was stranded like him and let's say I, I created my parents or my kids or my, my, my wife, would I be able to do that? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that would be difficult. That's a really hard. That's that's a really tough theme, and I think that's Alan Moore's genius. So, uh, well, a couple sh- of words got to me, you yeah. know, especially during that scene. And one was, "I kill the world, blue murder." Yeah, right. It went from my blue heaven to, to blue murder. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's the thing. It's not your typical Swamp Thing story by any stretch of the imagination. But if you stop and you think about it, how one can spiral into madness and how to get out of it, how to deal with it. It's uh, really powerful, powerful stuff. I think I'm getting a nickel every time I say this book is powerful, but I mean it. It's really strong material to me. So Sean Hegarty can suck it because uh, he, 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 his whole argument is swampy in, in space sucks. I don't get it. I don't get it. But if you stop, you look at this book, considering it. it Again, it's only him and the whole issue. The other characters are him talking to himself. He's just fighting with his own mind. I find that brilliant. It's amazing. And you don't know where he's at. He's like in the middle. It doesn't say what planet he's on or anything like that. So Yeah, no. And um, I think it was only brought up again one time, that planet. And it was an issue of Starman. I can't remember um, what number it was off the top of my head. But... He does. He does leap out of there, and later he's on a. He lands on what's that? Adam Strange's planet, Ran or Ron with the Hawkman, and so yeah. he he ends up jumping around space, and he has some adventures. And those I don't think are as strong as this issue in particular, but I really like him being out there exploring new worlds, trying different things. I thought that was really cool. So yeah, it's, it, it's my favorite, it, baby. It's my favorite. It's your favorite, absolutely. Listen, you can have Swamp Thing doing Swamp stuff any day of the week, right? I mean, yep. come on. This this was something that was unique. It had never been done before. To me, that's just a thumbs up, man. Hats off to Alan Moore. I just I just think his Swamp Thing run is the bee's knees, if you will. Well, there you go. The bee's knees. And, Bill, you know the greatest thing here is the two issues that I cherish the most are very uh-huh. inexpensive. You can oh, buy yeah. these. You can go find these, you know, on eBay, back issue bins or whatever, and they're only going to cost you a couple bucks. Yeah. That's why when I see them out in the wild, I grab them any chance I get. I got a few copies of the Hulk annual. I got multiple copies of uh, Swamp Thing number 56 because I love them, and I can get them for, you know, basically pennies on the dollar here. If you think about how many years ago they came out. Almost 40 years ago for the Hulk. and Yeah. Almost. And the Swamp yeah. Thing was uh, January. I don't know if I mentioned it, but it was January 1987. So, yeah. Seems like yesterday, Bill. It was just yesterday. Yep, yep yesterday. indeed. Yesterday. But uh, Isn't did there you... a song yesterday? Yeah. Yesterday. Yeah, sung by Paul McCartney. Come on, man. Yeah. You got to know this stuff. The Beatles. The, the Beatles. Did you like seeing Swamp Thing out of his elements in this one? I know you said it was a little confusing. Um, well, yeah, at the beginning, I didn't know what what was going on quite, but I got the gist that he wasn't on earth. Um, it was different. I do have to say, I didn't, I don't dislike it. Okay. I thought it was interesting. I don't think it's the worst comic ever. It was interesting. I seeing what they was trying to convey there. Uh huh. But of course I know John Constantine and you know, it was pretty powerful, though, the scene that he basically punches Abby in the face, mm-hmm. you know, and 
Murder. I'm telling you right now, Bill, when I was like 10 years old and I picked this up, I thought I got away with murder. I'm like, I cannot let my mom know I have this. This yeah. is this, I should not have this in my possession. You know, I'd yeah. have my uh, whatever Archie comics and everything else laid out, but that was like underneath the bed. I stashed it like a Playboy, you know? Well, that, well at some point, they, they put the mature readers on the... Didn't they do that on yeah. Swamp Thing before? It's on this one as well, but it's, it's small. Okay. okay. It's not a big thing, you know? Yeah. And it, and seriously, it's not like the mature readers that we get today. I mean, really. No, no. no. This this is all... Uh, it was pretty tame. It was tame, and it's left up to the imagination. You yeah. know what I mean? It's not like in-your-face kind of stuff. It was like, okay, well, the, the one scene I was talking about that was basically... Um, I referred to, like, masturbation... Was he's like caressing the version of Abby, and it was like, okay, now they're going to make love, but it doesn't show him doing any hardcore <laughs> stuff or anything yeah, gross. Yeah, you know, it just okay, all right, you know, Between you know what's going to happen. Yeah, you know what's going to happen here, and it's kind of creepy. So, you know, more power to you. Very good. Well, listen, it's still my favorite, not only because it was my first, but I've read it hundreds of times, and the more I read it, the more I get, and. uh I I would when I die, if you put those two comics in my coffin, I will go on to wherever I go, a happy camper that those are the only two books I will read for infinity or while I'm down below burning my biscuits, whatever the case may be. Burning your biscuits. Yeah, man, th- I love them. I can't get enough of these books, so I'm a little yeah. disappointed that you thought it was eh, it was okay. I'm glad you appreciate it for what it was, but man, for me this is lights out stuff, Bill. Lights yeah. out. Well, everybody has, you know, their comics that they think is the bee's knees, as you would say. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. You know, everybody, uh, like, um, one of the things me and Seth talks about, everybody, every book that you talk about, it's going to be somebody's favorite. Yeah. Or somebody loves. Right. Even though you hate, somebody's going to love it. Like Tom King's Batman. Oh, but yeah. Don't get me started <laughs> if you stop me up. Yeah, don't do no, Tom King. No, 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 no. Okay, no, I won't. No. I'm not. Oh, I I'm won't care that. Oh, you'll get me started. What are nope. you talking about? I, zip. My lips are sealed, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> sealed. Yeah. So, but I, uh, is there anything else you wanted to add about that Swamp Thing book or even the Hawk book or anything? No, I mean, just, uh, I think I've said enough, really. I mean, I love the Yeah, you did talk a lot. Yeah, I did. I'm on, I'm, I'm guesting <laughs> on your show and I won't shut up. So no, I just, I, I recommend people go check them out on their own too, you know? And, uh, they're easily had, like I said, in the back issue bins. As far as the Swamp Thing, you can get them in trades. They're on Amazon, really cheap. And even if this isn't your favorite issue, just like I said, Sean doesn't like this issue. He still likes Alan Moore's run, and it's legendary stuff. So if you've never checked it out, go pick it up. Uh, Bill's doing it right now, right? You said you're reading yes. through it. Yeah. So. The only issue that I have with the trades, and I got the older trades mm-hmm. from like 10 years ago or something yep, like that, sure. is they don't have any of the covers in there. The newer ones do. The newer ones do. Yep, okay. the newer ones do. So you can get I think those. I would have liked that. I might have to... To, to see about acquiring those because I really would appreciate seeing the covers. And, you know, I read the first trade and I went online to see what the covers look like. Mm-hmm. But I think they're they're missing. They're, they sort of dropped the ball on that one because the covers are a big part of what makes up. I mean, just imagine these two books without the cover. B- Bill, yeah. man, if I yeah. hadn't seen that, Hulk annual number 11 cover in the store. Who knows what would have happened? I might've been a Superman fan or I, I don't even know, but that, that image itself just grabbed me as a kid, you know? So yeah, you're right. Covers are, are a big deal. Now, when I say that, just like Tom King, I don't want to go into a rant, but variant covers are rubbish or I think are absolute garbage. So the, the, I don't know, the mastery of, of be, Really getting a great cover is, is gone. It's, it's a dead art form because now you can have 25 covers for the same book. Yeah, I – yeah. I know at least for me personally, mm-hmm. I have to request for my pull list, I have to say, because I want the original cover on everything. I don't want this the secondary cover 
Uh-huh. They usually want the original cover, and I have to request, give me the original color, cover. Also, right. Especially a lot of DC stuff, they would have like an A and B cover. Ugh. It dep- I guess it depends what it is, but most of the time I want that. Because the second cover usually doesn't even have anything to do, or it's... I know they were doing some of these covers to make them look like uh, from the Justice League movie, the characters. Yeah. I think the old artists back in the day would be pissed now. Because they were like, I went to editorial with like all these different versions. They're like, no, you can only have one cover. Rejected, rejected. But now it doesn't matter. Yeah. There's a variant and I do know everything. like people, people fall for that and they buy like every cover that they can. I used to get pissed off that people would do that. I'm like, they're ruining the industry and, and everything else. But now I don't care. And the main reason is they can go blow their wad on these variant covers for a hundred bucks or God knows how much they charge. And I'm the one getting more Bronze Age books or older books from the bins and there's no competition. Because all the kids from their freaking hula hoops and their Nintendo games are all into all these stupid covers. I'm like, hey, look at this. All these great books are just sitting here in the bins for cheap, and they're for me. Go waste your money, you millennials. Go ahead. Go waste your folks' money. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So uh, that's just my, my crooked, weird sense of reasoning I have, I guess. My weird uh, thought process. You're like, yep, Dave is insane. Yep. Thanks for being on the show. Yes. Now never speak with me again. Very Unfollow. Crazy. Unfollow on Twitter Unfollow. the moment this interview is over. Yeah, this discussion is well, over. Uh, unfollow. Yeah, you, right? Twitter's following. I'm just going to do a discussion about this. Uh, yeah, but you can just mute. Oh, so, oh, you do that yeah. to me. You just mute no, me. So no, I, I, I didn't say I did that. I said, but that you can do that. Yeah, well, that's sneaky stuff, Bill. Don't <laughs> do that to me. If you don't like me anymore, you just unfollow me. Don't you mute no. me. That's oh, I have a question stuff. for you. I have a last question for you. Oh, when okay. are we going to get another one of your articles? It's been like January. Oh, yeah. Has that... it been January or December? Two Staple Gold was my back issue reviews, and I was doing them on the GWW.com. They're still available on there. And, uh, yeah, I stopped in December. I started because Parlopod takes up a lot of my time. I edit. I host. I do a lot of the, the social media stuff. Uh, I wear a lot of hats, you know. And those are great, and I had a lot of fun writing them, but I decided to take a little bit of a break. But, hey, if more people want them, let me know, and I can start writing them again, I suppose, in my free time, because I've got quite a bit of that nowadays. So it would be a, a, a good good start, or a good time, rather, for me to start again. Yeah, yeah. You liked them? I enjoyed it. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Show me the, show me the money. Show me the money, Bill. Show me the money. Show me the money. No, I I'm have sorry. some Monopoly money somewhere around here. So some some doll hairs you can pay yeah, me. In. Some, Sounds great. Like I'll take it. Right now, I'll take ramen noodles. You want to pay me uh, for <laughs> for reviews and ramen noodles? And uh, I was going to say Bitcoin, but I think Bitcoin is actually pretty valuable, right? Yeah, I have no idea. Ah, yeah, we're we're dumb. <laughs> we're dumb. Do 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 do. Bitcoin. So, well, we'll get ready and wrap it up here. Okie dokie. But I wanted to thank you for being on. I want to thank you for having me. And uh, next time I come on, I want Seth here, too. Yes. And next time you come on, we'll do Too Old, Too New. So you'll have to have come up with a, a new book and an old book. And then we'll just split a new and old book. So Will do, man. I, I love the show. I Thank you again for having me on. I truly appreciate it. And uh, you're the best, Bill. Thanks. If you'd like to join the conversation, we're on Twitter at Too Old Too New, and I'm at Gotham Knight 13. You can send us an email if you want to join. You know our little podcast crossover. You have a podcast you wanna you wanna get together with me or Seth or both of us. Or, yeah, that sounds weird. <laughs> get together <laughs> with us. <laughs> get together. Yeah. Have a good time. Yeah. Yeah. If you'd like to email us, it's podcast at gmail.com. We're on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. So if you don't have anything else to add. Me? No, man. I'm good. I'm just chilling here. This is great. Yep. I love it. I love it. I don't have to okay. do any work. I just get to talk. 
Again, uh, Dave Schultz is from Parlapod. Yes, Parlapod.com, Parlapod on Twitter, and you can find me personally at LavaHog on Twitter. So. LavaHog, the original LavaHog. Yeah, you know what? And then you can follow me, and then you can mute me. So, uh, perfect, see, right? Yeah, I didn't... Did I say that? Yeah, you said... No, well, you didn't say it directly, but now I, I see, know. I can edit that out. No, so. you cannot. You cannot, you <laughs> muter. You dirty, rotten <laughs> muter. So, okay. Uh, we'll end it here. For Dave, I'm Bill, and we will see you later. We have come to the end of another exciting episode of the Comic Book Podcast, hosted by Bill and Seth. Join us next time. We review two old and two new comic books. Watch ya!